The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today we are living in a period of separation, loss, and death beyond any other experience of our age. Do you recall the shock we felt at 9-11 when nearly 3,000 persons crashed, jumped, or burned to death at the Twin Towers fall? That number of needless deaths now happens every day. I remember the first time I visited the wall in Washington, D.C., naming the American military killed during our years of fighting in Vietnam. I went to look for the names of those I went to school with. That wall, so powerful in my memory even now, is but a fraction of the size the wall of COVID-19 victims would fill. It's that wall times two and growing longer every day. Perhaps the wall on our southern border, now standing to keep us, the infected ones, from crossing into Mexico, perhaps that would be a fitting monument to the world's diseased and dead millions if ever we could gather and subscribe onto it, all those names, all those names. Today, the curtain is thin and growing thinner for the living as well as we go on unanticipated journeys of shared death. Whether we are aware of it or not, the dying who love us and who we love in return are passing through on their way to a better place. Just this morning, as I was waking up, a soul came and kissed me, told me she loved me and went on. This is happening to us day and night now, so be prepared, be open to it, and stop to visit those you love before you yourself depart. Our guest today, Lilia Samoilo, is a person especially empathic with the spirits on the other side. Lilia is a friend who's been on NDE radio before, but recently she had a profound experience of shared death with a number of souls crossing over who seem to be in need of help, I think for the journey, and Lilia being Lilia would never say no to helping. Lilia first visited NDE Radio on our September 23, 2019 show. She was an NDEer by the age of three, and since then she's had numerous NDEs and STEs that have inspired her to uh, be of service to others and to help raise global awareness about NDEs and STEs. Lilia has worked as a mental health and spiritual counselor and as a medical and spiritual intuitive for over 35 years. She served as an international veteran NDE advocate and NDE educator, and also as an associate of Dr. Diane Corcoran's VET NDE project, and serves on IONS Conference Military Veteran NDE and Marketing Committees. Lilia, welcome back to NDE Radio. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you for having me today. Oh, it's it's great to have you, uh, Lily. I thought we might start the uh, at the end of the last show. We were talking a bit about an experience you had almost exactly a year ago. It was I think uh, July eleventh of twenty nineteen. It was an NDE, and I w- thought that might be a, a good contrast with the shared death experience. We'll talk about after that. Sure. Um, so last year during um, two. I, two medical procedures that had to be done um, in advance of that procedure that you have to have somebody come with you in case something happens. And I told the person, I'm not going to make it. I knew I wasn't going to make it. 
that she was not to make the decision to have me return. She didn't have the heart to tell me that on the wall it said, we will revive you. Um, I went into the procedure, um, and when I woke up in the recovery room, I knew something had happened. It was all that was on my mind and in my heart, and I said to the girl when she first came in, things did not go well, did it? And she started to stammer. She was shocked. And she started to just tell me, well, you, you had a hypoxia. You had to be intimate. You had to reset. Mm. And and I couldn't say the word resuscitated. Um, and I just felt myself incredibly angry. I knew something substantial had happened. Um, and about a week later, um, it was shown to me what had happened. I had been, um, there was a body on the table with people around, two or three people. And I was on the ceiling um, just above the doctor's um, shoulders. And they quickly rolled this body around, um, and there was just a state of chaos. All I remember was I was extremely angry. That was about as much as I remember. And and walking away and thereafter, it's had uh, a very big impact in my life because I felt like I had to come back when I didn't need to um, because I had known in advance. Um, And just recently... I've been having um, somewhat of these more experiences, but it's been mixed. But uh, the last week of June, somewhere around the 28th or 29th, um, there's a medical condition that I could leave from just, you know, without any notice, actually a few of them. Um, But it happened during my sleep. And I had a very real, very conscious, impactful experience uh, where I was laying on some type of platform uh, bed, I was lying down, and a very good friend of mine who's a minister was standing at my side, and everything looked pretty much ethereal. Um, I felt at one point I was watching the scene simultaneously with be, me being inside my body. Uh, the person next to me, we were heart level. Uh, he wasn't over me. We were right at a heart level. We were telepathically communicating. He was there to help me. He looked just like himself, but he was in a rainbow body. And I recognized him, and he was comforting me. And as uh, we were telepathically communicating, there was the beginning of a great energetic, magnetic, electrical current, magnet type energy that was gone to my heart in the center and then started to expand as if there was a large magnet. Uh, Not that there was weight, uh, but it started to draw me up with along with my head and my heart simultaneously. And I could see the light. I was in grayscale. Everything about my experience was grayscale, but yet my friend was this rainbow pastel color. And I just remember consciously surrendering to this pool. And it started to pull me up. And I was rising up from my heart to my head and just passing, you know, in a lying position, lying down, traveling through this space that maybe could be perceived as a tunnel. Um, As I started this ascending process or this very fast movement, 
um, I became erect. I was standing up and I became a little bit concerned about the, the lack of color because normally my experiences are very vivid, colorful experiences. In that second, that fraction of a second that I started to doubt or weigh it against other people's experiences or my own previous, I started to slow down. And I and instantly, whatever took over this intelligence, my source, um, quickly removed that from me. And I kept traveling up, up, up very rapidly until I arrived uh, to a space that I was surprised. Again, there was an absence of color except three figures that were rainbow pastels and they were in darkness. And when I say darkness, it was just nothing. Uh, nothingness. And um, I, a pressure came in front of me as if not to enter. It was not necessary for me to enter. I felt like I was there to help um, whatever was there to be released from it. And as I approached, these forms that were pastel rainbow colors started to exit. Uh, the very next thing I remember. Um, I was at the base of this very grand staircase, a very, and this is where the colors started coming in besides the pastel figures. This staircase was 14 or 16, 20 feet wide, and it was grand. And there were braids of gold leading up. And at the very top, and I felt like I was home, someplace I had been before. And I could see these, ethereal, pastel-colored light bodies trying to reach the top. They had to get to some landing that was essential for them, but they were so tired. They looked like they were struggling. Um, those two figures on the left were holding onto the handrails. The one on the right was what I was mostly paying attention to, and it was slightly bent over as if I noticed it struggled. At that moment, uh, without uh, thinking, I started to qu quickly ascend these steps without walking. Um, at that point, I saw no staircase, nothing. All I was was that. I was just, I am. I was just moving up that staircase. And I passed through these forms. And as I passed through the forms, it was with such a determination such a, a love. It was an automatic thing. Um, there was no analyzing. It was just a matter of service. There was a need and the service followed. And as I passed through these forms, one, two, three, it was as though something had been uh, thrown off of them, thrown out of them. And I could feel and see the energy and it was rapid. And um, it felt like when you're playing pool, and you're drawing the stick back to hit a cue ball, and the cue ball hits the other balls, and you feel them bouncing. Um, that was sort of the sensation. Uh, I had no doubt that whatever I was having to do was accomplished. There was no attachment to the outcome. I never saw them again. I don't recall what happened. It didn't matter. The next thing I know, I'm back in my body. I wasn't didn't feel like I was breathing, though my eyes were open. It was, I don't know how to explain it other than that. And my physical body felt way larger 
than it normally would. And um, it felt like my lungs were completely had air in them that I couldn't breathe. And I heard or maybe myself or someone told me, breathe, breathe. And I gasped and I gasped and I finally started breathing. Um, uh, I, I guess I self-resuscitated, but it was a real mm. event and very impactful to me. Wow. Why do you suppose you started from uh, this position with your, with your friend? Was he, was he somehow connected to you think to the souls that needed your assistance? I think that this individual, I, the experience I had is out of the ethers one day, I was told to contact him. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know his name. And I asked, uh, I made the calls to my presence in St. Germain. I said, if you want me to find him, then tell me. And I found him. And we've been friends ever since. And the fact is, is he has a lot of spiritual experiences with a rainbow body. And I must have known him forever, but he was the one who had to assist me. And I, Mm -hmm. I, I think I was having the death of my human, my own, you know, I have this feeling of duality and I think it was the death of my concept of duality that actually died. It was my own resistance. It was the death of my own personal resistance to that, which I truly am is one with God as we all are. That's our true being. Right. But in this dualistic world, we were kind of stuck with the, uh, polar opposites all the time, aren't we? Well, if we give the power to the human faculties, which are limited because there's uh, limited faculties, so the process of my life has been learning to accept the God faculties, which uh, the Ascended Master's instruction that is discussed in St. Germain series books that I've studied, and they told me I would find these books, have actually taught me. And what I didn't mention, Lee, is while I was traveling through this um, when I initially got pulled out and I was traveling up and I started to doubt um, what, what replaced that momentary fractional moment of doubt and trying to analyze, I started feeling an extreme, intense, beautiful gratitude to God for what he has done for me, for the St. Germain series books, for me learning that I have a presence, my source, that I found my answers to the light and that I was able, and they were telling me at the time why this education was important. It was all through the process of even what I was going through in the moment. It all Mm -hmm. came together. Like uh, all the puzzle pieces came together, but I was shown that the, that it was my own feelings of separation uh, or doubt uh, that created the, the, uh, the duality when in fact there is no duality, not with my true self. There's no duality. I was holding myself back. So it you know, it felt like sort of a mini life review all simultaneously. And I know it doesn't sound characteristics uh, of the characteristic of the other NDE, but right. I don't want to judge this experience. I don't want to compare it to anything else. It just it happened. And, and I'm grateful I learned a lot. Yeah. I wonder why the difference in color, why you were in, in gray and um, your friend and these souls that needed your help were, were in, in color, light bodies, basically, I guess you'd say. I think I was giving power to my own senses of what I was experiencing or what other people might be experiencing. 
I think the people showed up as colored colors of light so that I would understand despite any darkness or lack of light, if they were trapped, God showed me their light, uh, that I had a job to do. And so when I was at the bottom of the staircase, that's why I think light was everywhere, because I was in the process of doing something that I must do. And I, and I, it, this all had to do with cooperating completely. Right. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it would draw your attention to, to them away from, from yourself and your situation and to their need. That's, that's very interesting. You, you know what I find interesting, too, in all the experiences I've ever had, Lee, I have never traveled through any tunnel. This was, and as I, I don't see this sound ridiculous, but as I was ascending in and being drawn, drawn, drawn by this great magnet, um, I thought to myself, this is what they go through. This is what they're talking about. I felt it right through my feelings, and as if, I was being given an opportunity to understand um, compassionately the intense uh, feeling of being drawn back to source and how impactful that is to other people. Even though I educate and I've had these experiences, but wow, this was like I was understanding it really through my feelings, what other people go through, and that that would be, that would serve a purpose, that that compassion would serve a purpose. Now, why were these other souls having trouble going up that staircase? Were they, um, were they fighting it? Were they reluctant? Were they weakened by their past lives? I mean, what, what do you suppose was standing in their way of making it on their own? Um, the impression that I had that they, there was a struggle, that they were expending every uh, possible effort to get to arrive to the place that they had to which was the, the apex or the, the, the summit. They were reaching where they had to go. And they were moving actually very slow. My, my attention for some reason was on the person on the right side. And they were just bent over struggling as if they were uh, running out of energy. And all I know is when I saw there was a need, action took place and it was very natural. And it was decisive life just took over, and there I went to assist. But as soon as they moved me into action, I had um, no uh, understanding about who it was, why, when, or being attached to the outcome. Nothing. Do you suppose that it was um, uh, before or after their life review that they were feeling weakened? I really don't know anything about that. Um, I wasn't shown anything. All I know is that when I arrived, I was not to go into that darkness, but that's where they were. Hmm. And when I approached, they were trying to get the heck out of there. Um, they were, that's all I know is I felt like they were trying to get out of there. Um, so, but looking back, I feel like I was sent there to assist them. So this is a situation that, that any soul could find themselves in theoretically, uh, in a dark place without the spiritual energy to make it to where they want to be? Well, I'm not sure, but from my own heart level um, and from my personal study, that when we're making the progression in life to go back to source, um, 
that the individual has to, of their own volition, decide that they will turn back to the Father, the Creator, or they will go back to that state of perfection. It has to do with their free will deciding to align with that which what they truly are. And should there be any resistance, of course, if there's people there who want to assist, and it's it's a God-directed assistance, they're there to help. And I think that's probably possibly why it was there to assist them. But they were making it seemed like they were making every single effort at that time, just like they were just worn down a little bit. Um, but I don't know about any life review or anything. I I I just uh, felt there was a need and whatever uh my life took its own course and passed through them to help them. Mm. And I've actually done this my whole life. I've done it since I've been a child. I never knew it was called share near death experiences. And whatever I've done to assist others from a child till now, um, I don't know what God, I guess, would call that experience. Um, people in science uh, in the near-death community call them shared near-death experiences. Um, I just happen to remember the times that I'm assisting, but I think we all assist others. I think we do that all the time. It's just some remember and some don't. I just happen to remember some of them. And what's interestingly, even though I'm an educator and I've had these experiences and I've been working with Diane Corcoran and I am, and I understand about the shared near-death uh, near experience, um, when I explained this last experience the other day to my friend, what happened to me on June 28th or 29th, she said to me, Lilia, this is a shared near-death experience you had with this man, and possibly a near-death experience on top of it, um, and you helping these other people. And you know it landed on me at that moment. Oh, my God. She, I think she's right. And she started to enumerate, because we've known each other since we've been children. I'm now 60. And she started enumerating the times with my mother, my father, my grandparents, uh, close friends of mine, uh, friends of other people's friends. And and um, I had these experiences. And maybe we think it's an unusual thing or a mystical thing, um, but I think Probably they're very natural because we serve, because the light is real, and the light is service, and we're just cooperating. When we talked about this, um, when you first told me about it, you said it was like you were the cue ball in a billiard game, hitting, knocking those souls and propelling them forward. And uh, it's, it's like you gave them a jolt of, spirit, of your own spiritual energy. Uh, to to get them to where they needed to be. Well, I felt that the experience. Yeah, I felt that the experience happened. Yeah, it was that. I did feel that impact. I felt it within that body that I was in. I felt the impact, and it felt like uh, maybe it happened because I was helping them remove spiritual uh, hurdles, whatever shadows or veils or whatever they were running out of energy, whatever was holding them back. Maybe God just help me move there and help them remove those hurdles out of the way. That's my best guess. Now, have you talked to your friend, the one you visited uh, to start the to start this experience? Have you talked to him about it? I did. Um, he didn't say anything. He's a very humble man. And um, we have a very deep spiritual connection. And I probably, I've, I've said to him one time spontaneously, I've known you forever. And, um, and I want to tell you a little bit of an experience that happened. 
I in in devotion in my daily devotion, and I'll I'll talk to my presence. I'll talk to the masters. I this particular instance, I said to Saint Germain, "This man knows the song of the ascension, doesn't he? Will you prove that to me? Do you know, Lee? I I didn't say that or share it with anybody. Within twenty four hours, he sent me a video of him playing the ascension song." Aloha A, it's the tune of Aloha A, and he was playing it on a ukulele because he happened to be at a funeral service, that of a Hawaiian friend, and that's their song for hello and goodbye, and he sent it to me, and that was the proof that he knew the song of the ascension, proving um, that I've just known this man forever, but he was the one who was assisting me um, at, at bedside or wherever I was. And that experience of being pulled out of the body was absolutely amazing. The thing I couldn't believe is that I consciously let go. I wanted to. I completely just wanted to cooperate. And that blew me away Um, because I didn't even know I had a reservation about leaving until I actually experienced what it was to feel leaving and I wanted to cooperate. I had the contrast and uh, that was huge for me. Now, what is the Ascension song? That's something that you should explain a little about. Um, the Ascension song are, um, is a song of lyrics that are written to the tune of Aloha A. And it was written, I believe, by the Queen of Hawaii. I don't remember her name right now, but that was her love song to her country. And that hmm. song... Um, the lyrics with the music sets up a vibratory action um, to be connected to that flow of divine love that leads you into the ascension or you being eternally free. And um, this is, so this that, is, this is ahead. something that's sung at a funeral, something that's sung for a departing soul. soul. Um, well, the Hawaiians play that tune and they probably have their own words, but, uh, the Ascended Masters had released that the lyrics um, and set it to the melody the way that they composed it. So when it's sung or played, uh, either in their meetings or if a person's just singing it at home, it can be sung anytime and all the time. And mm. it puts you in alignment uh, with uh, that which leads you to the Ascension. Where where could uh, listeners find... Uh... Uh, a copy of that song or the words to the song? Um, they would go to uh, com, uh-huh. and they would be able to buy the music or song sheet for that song. And it's the lyrics of the song or they can buy it in just the instrumental as well. It's called the Ascension Song. Okay. So it might they might find it on, on the, the internet and YouTube or something like that. Um, hmm. they wouldn't, I don't think it's, uh, you can find it on YouTube. Um, if you want the exact, um, release that the Ascended Masters gave, uh, the word for word lyrics and the composition that was written and they're paired together, uh, you would then only get it from the St. Germain Press. They're the ones who are only authorized to distribute and they would have the word for word or note for note composition. Okay. All right. Um, do you suppose that, uh, there are, 
others out there either um, <laughs> use Paul's St. Paul's words in the body or out of the body that are helping other souls who were stuck or struggling the way uh, you helped these souls. In other words, you helped you helped several of them, but they're probably right now with all the deaths going on. There are probably millions of souls struggling with sudden death, trying to figure out what's going on and and how to get to where I want to be. Um, I think whenever we're in alignment with Source, whether it's an act of kindness, um, encouragement, inspiration, just pouring love to somebody, and quiet devotion, or whether you're actively bringing groceries to somebody or wherever need, I think we're helping at all levels, and all levels matter. All levels matter to help people uh, get free. Um, you mind if I tell a quick story that was impactful to me about acts of kindness and how we help other people? No, oh, sure. Go ahead. Um, we have a, we have a minute was, or two. <laughs> okay. So um, when I was doing my research about near-death experiences, one of the things that was most uh, impactful to me is when there was a 30-year-old girl who died in a car accident. God took her... Um, to a place to do a life review, and he, um, she was shown her impact on a very elderly lady. She used to be a healthcare worker in a in an aged nursing home. This woman had nobody in her life. She was in her 90s, and that 90 year old woman would wait for this woman who was having a life review to bring her graham crackers and milk. It was her favorite snack, and every day that elderly woman looked forward to that snack being delivered to her. And God showed this woman what it was like for that 90-year-old woman when that girl wasn't there to give her crackers and milk, whether she was on vacation or sick and how depressed and upset she became. But when the girl was there and gave her the difference in her life, that they, and, and that small act of kindness went over that girl's head, but not to God. So every act of kindness, whether it's a word or a deed, whether we're doing it with a shared near-death experience or encouraging words to somebody, we are helping everybody all the time. And mm. every bit of it means something to God. Every bit of it. Wow. Well, Lily, I'm afraid we're uh, just about out of time for today. Thank you so much for sharing this story of your recent near-death, shared death experience. Lily, how can listeners reach you by uh, email? They can reach out to me at longing, longing, L-O-N-G-I-N-G, the number four, the light at outlook.com, longing for the light at outlook.com. And I'm offering anybody who wants to hear about my near-death experience at age three and my STEs, uh, they can just write me and request that. And also, um, if you're looking to read the same books the Sunday Masters told me I would find one day, um, the St. Germain series. They're online right now for free, the first three volumes, and you can write me and ask me for the link to go there to read them for free. Terrific. All right. Well, thanks again, Lilia. And um, you're going to be on again possibly next week. We're talking about a whole different thing. So, um, and I hope the listeners will tune in for that as well. Let me remind all you telephone chaplains out there, don't forget to keep using your phone or social media to check on those folks you think might be at home alone who might benefit from 
having someone to talk to, stay in touch with them. Please stay masked, stay well, and until next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, this is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>